Before we get into the word tonight, let's uh, bow our heads, close our eyes, and open up our hearts and minds for the Lord. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for this evening, this opportunity that we get to come here today to gather and be about your business. Lord, I just ask that you would just fall afresh in this place, that you would establish this uh, facility as your domain. May you just probe and prod our hearts and convict us and stir us in the right direction of things that you would have us do. Lord, may you just have your way with our hearts. So God, I thank you for this scripture that you have placed before us, this letter. Lord, I just ask that you would anoint my lips, that you would calm my spirit, and that you, Holy Spirit, would just just speak immensely to our, to our brothers and sisters here tonight. And for those who are online too, Lord, may you just be with them. And also for those who are not feeling well tonight for anything that is going on in their life, God, I just ask that your healing hand would be upon them. So we thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So if you guys could open your Bibles or your apps, Bible apps to Galatians chapter six, and we're going to go all the way from verse one through 18. And I love that the image on the screen has been a scale because that's what we've been talking about is law versus grace, the law of Moses and the law of Jesus Christ and, and his love. So the message that the Lord has put in my heart to, to overwrite tonight's uh, message is going to be others. As Jesus said in the second commandment, that is just like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul the Apostle is going to give us this writing, this letter that he writes to Galatia in regards to that. So before we get into the actual scriptures, let me give you a little bit of context, a little bit of understanding about what is going on uh, that would help us to understand where, this, where we're going tonight. So Paul the Apostle was in a debate. He had people who were criticizing him for who he was and what he was preaching, the truth, the gospel message. And these religious guys who were Jewish, uh, some of them came to believe in Jesus, but they didn't take the whole grace of Jesus and put it over the law because Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophecies about me. All that's been done away. There's a new thing to come. But these Religious guys, these Jewish guys, wouldn't totally accept that. Some would follow and believe, but they would hold on to both the law of Moses as well as the grace of Jesus Christ. So what they would do is they would try to impose the feasts of the law. They would try to impose especially circumcision upon everybody. If you weren't a Jew, you were called a Gentile. It didn't matter what nation you were. Talk about racism. So these guys had coined everybody a Gentile. And anybody who was a Gentile, if you wanted to be a believer of Christ, you had to go through the law first, become Jewish in some form or fashion, and you had to become circumcised. And, of course, this is a male problem because it was the cutting away of the foreskin. So every man who wanted to be a Christ believer had to go through this process and then become saved. And then you could have salvation for you. And that was a terrible thing. In Acts 15, there's these guys, these guys that I'm talking about are called, they're actually called Judaizers or legalists. In Acts 15, verse 1, it says this. So there was this debate going on. And it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Brethren are brothers and sisters in the Lord, Jesus. Right? They said, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And that's painful. That'd be terrible to hear. That sounds like works to me, huh? Works to me, men. 
Uh, that's pretty, <laughs> yeah. So Paul confronts these issues through this letter of Galatians. And he's telling them that these guys are wrong about what they do. So as we jump into the scripture, I want to give you um, a little bit of a roadmap of what we're going today. And, and tonight I have uh, four portions of scripture that we're going to break down in four different manners. And again, we're going to be others minded or being, you know, loving our neighbor as Paul is trying to express through this last uh, section. And verses one through five, we're going to talk about burdens being carried for others. Verses 6 through 10, we're going to talk about blessings shared with others. Verses 11 through 15, it's going to be about boasting in the cross, not self, right? Others-minded. And verse 16 through 18, bruised and crushed for the brethren. All right, so let's pick it up. We're going to jump into the word, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, regarding burdens carried. And here's what it says. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load." All right, so verses 1 through 5, burdens carried. Let's break this thing down, right? Verse 1, we see where it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, or else you'll also be tempted. So what he's saying here, firstly, is he's talking about a man. Right? We can call it a man or a woman. He's using basically a, a situation. And this man or woman is a brother and sister in the Lord. They're also believers, Right? And he uses this word overtaken. And that word overtaken carries the idea of being surprised or caught in a trap. And here's an illustration I have for you. So there's this man, he's a believer, right? And he's walking down this path with the Lord. He's walking, he's walking. And then all of a sudden some temptation comes down this other path. And he goes down this path that he's going to trespass and he's sinning, Right? And as he goes, he gets trapped by a bear trap, and it dislocates his shoulder, and he's stuck. There's no way of turning back without anybody knowing he's going to be found out. And that's exactly what happens that Paul is talking about. This man has been found out, and he went down a path. A, a great analogy, a true one that happens quite often is, let's say a brother or sister says, hey, I got a DUI, and i am got manslaughter charges on me because I hit somebody, and they're injured really bad, think they're going to die, right? This person's in deep trouble. This is a trap that he's in. And this person only got in this situation because the DUI indicates they were probably drunk, right? Bible says drunkenness is a sin. Well, how did he get drunk? Because he was drinking alcohol. We talked about Christian liberties. It's probably okay for a person to have a drink, but don't get drunk. So this person goes too far, gets caught in this trap. Now he's in trouble. He may not have a job anymore. He may lose his license. He can't provide for his family. This is a big situation that Paul would be highlighting regarding a man being um, overtaken or in this trap. And then he goes on to say, right, and any of those of you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So he's talking about those who are spiritual. What he's saying is not pastors, not just elders, 
not just circle group leaders, home group leaders. He said, any of you who are spiritual, anyone who says that I believe and receive Jesus into my life, I'm a spiritual one. So he's saying all of us have this duty and this job to restore this, this one who is stuck in this situation. Now, this word restore, it has the equating meaning of mend. And a couple of parallels to that it would be for his disciples who were fishermen, right? When they would take their fish out and they would bring the nets in, it would rub against the boat and they would eventually tear, but they couldn't cast it back out until they repaired it. So they would have to mend it together, right? This other idea of this word mend is in regards to like a doctor resetting a bone that's broken or a dislocated bone out of joint. Back in the days, I used to play a lot of softball. I was a dick. It was an idol in my life. Huge. And I used to be really fast and I would steal bases like crazy. It's the only time you're allowed to steal youth. Okay. I'm just letting you know. Stealing bases. Go Dodgers. So, um, <laughs> just kidding. Sort of. So, so I used to be really quick and I would be able to, and, and I would steal bases. But the way I would do it is if the ball was coming from this way to like second base, I would dive outward and I would do what was known as a hook slide. I would grab it and I would slide around because my hand would go right behind their glove in the base and I was always safe. Couldn't touch me. Um, One time I was doing this and I went so hard and so fast that as soon as I grabbed it, my shoulder popped out of its socket and it burned and I stood on second base and I just watched my team. I'm like, oh my gosh, is there a doctor out here? Is there a nurse? Did I break it? What did I do? Because the pain that I had was something I'd never felt before. Um, So somewhere, somehow, some way, I remembered someone saying that if you can reposition it in a way you could twist it, you can get it to pop in yourself. So I'm standing on second base and I grab my arm and I pull it up slowly, gently, and I twisted it and it popped right back in its socket. And oh, I felt so good. It was so good. It was a hot feeling though that I had that kind of came through and I had like this, it didn't feel right for like three or four days, but the the whole thing went away and I still kept playing. Um, The point is, the point is this. The church is not a building. It is the people. It's called ecclesia in scripture. And the ecclesia is us. We are the church. It's not about where we gather. It's about who gathers, right? And in that, in that vein, the Bible also says that we are the body of Christ. Jesus Christ himself is the head, but we all have functions and parts to play. We all have different gifts, different talents that make the body of Christ be what it is. On any given Wednesday or Sunday morning, all of I would say all of you, a lot of you are serving in the church and you're functioning, you're making this happen. And that's an amazing thing. So just imagine this man that I said that went down this path and he got caught up, right? Imagine him being that shoulder, a part of the body. This is a believer and he's out of socket. What we have to do as believers, as he's saying here is we need to be like the right arm. We need to be a part of the body who says, who doesn't slap that hand, you knucklehead, now look at you, right? Because Paul is saying that because that's what these Judaizers would do. If a person sinned, they'd be like, look at this fool. Look at this guy. Look what he did. He sinned. They would tell everyone. Back in those days, good thing they didn't have social media. It would be terrible for this individual. And why would they want to follow Jesus if this was the type of people that were, that were talking about the love of Christ, right? No, Paul says, you don't do that. You silently and you gently and you kindly bring them back into the body. So he says, you write hands Grab this one gently, raise, adjust, pop them in the socket. That's going to hurt them. Yeah, that DUI hurt that guy. But we still love them in. 
We love them back and restore them. And it's going to take time for them to be restored. They may be removed from ministry because of this, but it's okay. God's got grace upon this individual. And at some point, that person's going to not have the pain anymore. At some point in time, they're going to become stronger in the Lord. They're going to follow. They're going to understand that somebody employed Galatians 6, 1 in my life. And now I'm stronger. And guess what? I'm now a part of the body. Oh, somebody else falls. My turn to go help them. We help each other out. We don't kick each other down. We lift each other up. And that is what Paul is explaining to us here. Then he goes on to say, consider, right? And that word consider means to examine yourself because you could also get tempted to go down a dark path and also become overtaken. Crazy. That's just verse one. Here we go. Verse two. (laughs) Bear one another's burdens, burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So bearing one another's burdens, here's what it means. It means that the body of Christ is just like I said, is like the strong right arm, strong functioning part of the body who helps the one that is down, who needs to be reset, who needs to be mended. And through that, it says to fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is love. His love that he shares is what is known as agape love. And there's four, by the way, the word love in our vernacular, in our language, does not do it justice. Because we say we love burgers, pizza, yada, yada, yada. That is not what the Bible would teach when it comes to love. We highly like and we are fond of those things. The Bible uses, in the, in the, in the Greek, four words for love, right? The first one is, um, this isn't even in my notes. I just feel like sharing this with you. But it's, it's storge. Storge is like a parent type of love towards a child. It's very unique. And if you don't have kids, you probably don't know what I mean. But when you do, you'll embrace that understanding of that type of love. The second one is phileo love, which is like the word, the city of Philadelphia. City of brotherly love, right? It's about having a fondness and love for each other. The third one is what is eros, where they get that word erotic from. It's the, it's the sexual intimacy between a married couple only. Make note of that online. Um, and the fourth one is, is what love we're really talking about here, which is agape or agapeo. And this is sacrificial, unconditional love. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what he displayed. So when he's talking here, he's saying, and so fulfill the law of love, agape, towards your friend, because you're going to sacrifice your time, your resources, your heart, your mind to invest in this one to bring them back into alignment. It's huge. So that's what he says in verse 2. Verse 3, right? For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And his points are, you're not better than anyone else. You and I are not better than anyone else. Jesus came and he broke the barrier of division within mankind. There is no color of skin. There is no amount of money, rich or poor. There is no job. There is no city. There is no, none of that stuff matters in the body of Christ. None of it. And if you think you're better than someone else, you better check yourself before God wrecks yourself in that process. Because God gives and he takes away. And you touch what's his, stand by. <laughs> um, and not that God's mean or cruel. He's just a good God of justice. Um, so he's saying help everyone. Everyone. I would say even though he's talking about a believer, we help 
other neighbors who aren't believers because someday they may become believers through your love, through our love. It's huge. In order for us to do that, we must die to ourselves and represent Jesus as agape love to all nations through that process. And as he goes on to even say about being self-deceived, self-deceived mean that we can't see clearly because of, well, I'll just say personally that we can get in the way of ourselves. I can't see what God is doing because I'm in the way of what God wants to do because I have a plan that's better than God's and God's going to follow with me. That's not, that's not what's going on here. We can't see. So we got to get out of the way and let God work through us in only ways that he can. Verse 4, right? Let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and did not another. So this word regarding examining self is where we get this word uh, scopio or microscope. So we should mic- put a microscope on ourselves to see that we are being responsible in our own actions and our own walk with Christ. The people are watching. And we are to rejoice in our work. I know that sounds like it's pride, but it's not. And here's what I mean. We're to rejoice in that work because what was broken in us has been healed. And because of that, we can now be used. And when we take on that identity of who we are in Christ, we can submit and surrender and be led by God to go do things that are bigger and greater than us. I will tell you, over the past uh, couple weeks, I've been nervous to be up here and share because it's been like two years that I shared from the pulpit. I'm like, God, it's not me. I will get in your way of what you want to say and do. Um, But... This is that surrender piece. Just let go and go for it. Step out in faith and let God just speak what he wants to say to the people. You know, that illustration of, uh, you know, being dislocated. Um, you know, many of us were dislocated, right? Like I said, we were broken. But now we're moving. We should be moving in the Lord's will as he leads us. And that can be at our home. It could be at our workplaces, workplace ministry. It could be in our school, Definitely in our church, uh, parenting over our <laughs> school boards with all the craziness that's going on, our voice matters. And when we speak truth, God will move. But God can't move if we don't step in the gap and, and, and do what is right through that process. So verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. Bearing your own load. Here's what load means regarding this. This is not the same thing as burden in verse 1. Burden means that you're helping someone out. Carrying your own load is, is in parallel to what Paul the Apostle would see in that time. It's all around them were Roman soldiers. And these Roman soldiers carried gear. They had packs, just like we do today in the military. You go out in the field, you got to have your own refreshment clothes. you got to have food on you and other things that allowed you to be out in the field. So he's speaking like speaking this way to us in that manner of having your own backpack, carrying it, and carrying it well. Because it's our responsibility to carry our own load or our own ministry that God places in our, in our hands. If we were to go down, holding our backpack, our own ministry, and we go down this path and we get caught in this trap and we get broken, what does that do to the body? If this right hand is supposed to be moving in a direction with the Lord and helping people, all of a sudden, I have to stop doing what I'm doing and I got to say, brother i got to spend time on you, right? It makes us ineffective as a whole body moving in the right direction. 
Does that make sense? So if we are responsible with our own actions, our own responsibilities, we can be able to be more effective for the body and doing what we're called to do. I mean, we see this even in the workplace. I mean, I used to be. When I was injured at work, I couldn't work. It affected my entire team. They all had to fill in the load, and they were mad at me. Great, we got to work overtime because of you. Some people like overtime, some don't. But there was guys who were upset that they had to fill in, in, in for me because I got injured. Uh, and that's the same idea here. He's like, don't, don't hurt yourself. Don't ruin. Keep on going. Carry your own load, and it'll be well. Because with me? All right. Verses 6 through 10, portion number 2. Verses 6 through 10 is blessings being shared, right? There we go. Let's read it, 6 through 10. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right, let's pause here. Verse 6. This is what is known as a precept, meaning that the 7 and 8 has principles, and he's going to kind of on-ramp this principle through verse 6. So, Verse 6, he's, he's saying to share in all good things. And to us as believers, that means fellowship, have fellowship, gathering together. The Greek word is koinonia. Koinonia means to have all in common. And that first and foremost thing that we all have in common is Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Right? That's number one. The other thing is that we should share in our material blessings with others also. And we must remember that we do with material things, what we do with our material things is evidence. It's evidence of how we value spiritual things. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you're investing your money in certain areas, you're going to be watching the stock market. If you're investing in church and ministry, you're going to be with God's people. There's a huge difference of what you do with your possessions. And that's what he's, he's saying here. And he's talking about him who teaches. And this is referring, obviously, to Bible teachers. It's definitely referring to pastors, but also to other uh, teachers in the Bible. The, you know, your group leaders, things of that nature. He's saying, bless them, give to them. And the principle here is, is just giving as a way of sowing and reaping a spiritual harvest, which is... Again, where we're about to go, where he talks about harvest, sowing and harvesting. Um, you know, I know a lot of us as pastors, we're full-time on staff here. If it wasn't for the blessings of you guys taking faith and tithing and offering, we wouldn't be here. Close the doors. Block it up. Everybody's got it. All of us have to go back to work uh, in the field somewhere and no more teaching the Bible. That'd be a shame. That'd be a sad thing. And that's what he's saying. Give to these guys because they are pouring into you. And the warfare that these guys go to, that I go through, can be terrible at times. But it is worth it when I can see a person who's trapped and is restored and brought in and is now being used by the Lord. That is an amazing thing that you can't even put a value on. It's beautiful. You know, and he's saying to you know, give of your materials. I like uh, chocolate chip cookies and my office is the fourth in the hall. So... Uh, Aaron's is the sixth down the halls. I don't know what he likes, everything. So, Rice Krispie Treats. 
Lord. (laughs) Verses 7 through 8. Here's the principal part of this, right? He says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. All right. Let's pause on this. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. So what he's about to say here is the things that you do in life, especially with your resources, money, your, your materials, if you're not using it for God in the way that he would like you to with the things that he's blessed you with, it's okay. You can, and that word mocked actually means to snub your nose at God. Like whatever, God, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. God says you can do, you can, I am not mocked. You can snub all day. I'm bigger than how big your nose is, Pinocchio. You can't touch me up here. He's not mocked. And you can't hide anything from God. Nothing. He is with you when you're in the shower. He's with you in your room. He's with you when you're using the restroom. He's with you in your car at work. He knows what you're doing. Don't think you can play it over on him. He knows what's going down. And the deceiving part, again, don't believe the lie that you will get away with what you do or what you don't do. There's a lie that the enemy would say, you can do this. You can go down this trail. God's not going to be mad at you. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's grace for you when you sin. Yeah, it abounds. But Paul obviously says, certainly not. If you know that grace abounds and you're going to go sin and do something wrong, again, check yourself because you're tampering with God's love. And that's a sad thing to do and sad place to be. So don't do it. Then he goes on to talk about material possessions. These material possessions are our seed. They're our seed. And he talks about here that there's two different types of soils, right, of our heart. We can have the the soil of the flesh, soil of the spirit. Because in Galatians 5, he talks about this, right? He says, and and let's talk about the the soil of the flesh. It leads to corruption. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, which is just just a chapter over before this, what Pastor Pete shared on last week. Here's... Here's seeds that you can plant in your flesh that will lead to corruption. You guys ready with me? We got 17, 17 seeds. Painful. Here we go. First one, adultery. Yep, that's in the church. Fornication. Yep, seen it. Uncleanness. I can go on. Lewdness. Idolatry. Sorcery. That word sorcery is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy, meaning drugs. And I'm not talking like Advil, Tylenol. It's things that inoculate your mind and keep your mind unoccupied from being able to know the soberness of who God is. So that's what that means. If you're wondering what sorcery is, some of you are thinking magic. And no, that can't be magic. Uh, Hatred, contentions, jealousies. By the way, that word, that, that word jealousy, we misuse it often. I'm, I'm just being a word magician tonight. Jealousy means that I had something and it's no longer mine, but I want it back, right? Because God says he's a jealous God for us. He had us in the garden. Sin came in, separated us, took us, took us away. And God says, I'm jealous for you, but I got a plan. His name's Jesus, my son, right? So that's jealousy. And the opposite of that is, um, is uh, envy. That's the real word we should say, because if you've never had something, that is envy. Oh, I love that vehicle you have. I want one. That's envy. You guys with me? Jealousy, envy? All right. And that's even in here, envy. Uh, outbursts of wrath. Some of you are some angry people. Selfish ambitions. I know what I want to do, and I don't care what God says. 
dissensions. That means trying to bring down the house, bring down, uh, bring calamity into people's lives and homes and rip it apart. Heresies, going against God's word. Envy, we talked about that. Murders, that's plain as day. Abortion is murder. I say that because I've been a part of a couple. Yeah. Yes. I'm pro-lifer too. I'm actually uh, the pastor of the board on uh, birth choice right here in San Marcos. And I'm all about saving and preserving every single child that is unborn. We love them all because they were all made in the image of God. So let's fight for that right for the unborn because they don't have it. So anyways, murder. That is murder. Drunkenness. We just talked about a great analogy of what that could look like or what it could end up right. And revelries. Fights. Brawls. Throwing downs. When you plant these 17 detestable seeds in your heart, in your life, and you let the harvest come, because it will come, make no mistake about it, your sin will be found out, the Bible says. There will be a harvest of nastiness. I said earlier that I do a lot of counseling with a lot of people. I walk through this list, and I'm saying, do you see this in your life? Yep. Well, welcome to your harvest, and now you've got a lot of pain and a lot of problems to go through. And these are all relational issues that happen Marriages fall apart through these things. Kids run from their families as they become adults. I don't want to talk to my parent. And you call them prodigals. Maybe we should look in the mirror too and say that I forced that upon them. Because I, I hang out with Pastor Tyler and Aaron. They're two, two doors down and we talk about the youth and what they go through at home. Kids aren't just the problem. It's the parents too. We are parents and I'm one. I'm not perfect. I still got ways to be corrected too. I'm speaking to myself. Lord, stop. Um, but... But these things can be painful. All right, so let's move on from the negative. Let's move to the positive. Seeds to the spirit. Sowing seeds to the spirit that's in us. Man, we can pray. We can read our Bible, come to church Sunday, Wednesday. See, you guys are real Bible students because you're not schmoes Sunday morning only. You guys are here on Wednesday night. Yeah, so this is the real deal. So being in fellowship, circling up. If you came here tonight and you don't have anything going on and you walk out the door and you don't jump in a circle of the fellowship, that's the same thing for you. Sow to the spirit. Break out of yourself and step in where Jesus wants to minister to you. He wants you to be a circle group leader someday. Don't misuse that gift that God has given you because I need you to be a part of this body because we can all go in a huge direction and affect this community that so needs the love of Christ in us. If that's you, Pray through and ask God, should I stay? Should I stay? I never do. I never stay. 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 Your circle group wants to minister to you. Trust me. Trust me. It's good. So when we sow to the spirit. And, and some of these things that he's talking about was finances and materials, things that you've been given. If you give these things into the ministry, there's way more. There's where more life that comes from that individual who gives to such a thing because it brings life to others who have nothing but death in their life. And it, it multiplies to other people who need to know Jesus to be, to be freed from um, strongholds, addictions, and everything else that is going on in a person's life. And because of it, this turns into good fruit, fruit of the Spirit, which is also in Galatians 5, 23 through 23. And those, those fruits are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Let me say that again. Gentleness, because some of you are too harsh. 
some of us, and self-control. Oh, I wish I had more self-control, right? When we sow to the Spirit with these things, these attributes, fruit of the Spirit, come out not only in our own lives, but other lives of people that come and get ministered to by, by whatever person is teaching and coming alongside them. It's, it's an eternal weight of gold that carries people all the way into heaven. All that other stuff, sowing to the flesh, brings nothing but death and destruction and hell. When we can bring them into life, into heaven, that's eternal. No pain, no glory, no money. No more money needs. I probably don't have to work. That'd be good. Because our money will be in heaven when we get there. Where our heart, where our money is, or our treasure is, our heart will be there also. And that's where, my, that's where my heart is. I can't wait to get to heaven. But we got work to be done. There's a lot of people who need to know Jesus. So, so anyways. Verse 9 through 10. This is a promise that comes from this principle we just talked about, reap, sowing and reaping. He says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So he's saying, don't get tired, don't faint, don't get weary and weak while you're, while you're, while you're sowing the seed. See, when you create a farm, or you're planting something, it takes a lot of watering, it takes a lot of stirring the soil, pulling the weed. There's work to be done. It can get exhausting. And in that exhaustion, you may want to quit before the harvest even comes. But he says, keep going. There is a great harvest to be done. And one of the ways that we can grow weary is through our spiritual fainting, through lack of devotion, reading our Bible, praying, seeking, praise-worshipping, Etc., etc. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, he talks about, John writes about the church of Ephesus. He said they had lost their first love. This was a church that was on fire. Paul the Apostle writes to the church of Ephesus through Ephesians. Come to find out, they lost their first love because everything that they do is works based. It was about them doing what they wanted to do and not being with the Lord through that process. So they fainted and they backslid. They went back into the world, ways of the world. So Paul would say, don't quit, don't give up. Why? Because Jesus never gave up for us when he was beaten and taken down that road. And when he went to the cross, he hung there for six hours for us. And he never said, let me go, I quit. Never mind, I tap out. He said nothing. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. While I hang here and bleed and then I'm I'm naked and I'm shredded meat looking in front of everybody. Pretty embarrassing moment. But he never gave up on us, so why would we give up on him? Why? Because we get in the way. That's why. Verse 11 through 15, boasting in the cross. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. These, he's talking about these Judaizers, they would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. He says it doesn't matter if you're circumcised. You are, you aren't. doesn't matter. Jesus came and he covered that. He fulfilled that stuff. And what we see in here is, Paul says, 
See, with large letters I have written to you with my own hand. This is interesting. Paul would, he, he was the first one who did speech to text. You guys ever do speech to text? Boop, 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 right? Message goes out, send, because we don't like to type like this anymore or like this. So he was the first one who did this. He was speech to text, and he had a person who would pin everything he was writing. Everything up till now in this letter was pinned by someone else. He just spoke, and they wrote it. But then he says, pause. Before I end this letter, I need a personal admonition or encouragement to the churches in Galatia. So he writes, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now, there's a couple things about this. Some would say, okay, he's writing with his own writing, but why does he do it with such large writing? So it is suggested by Bible scholars, and there's two, two trains of thought, that and in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh. And basically what he was saying is that God gave a demon to attack him, basically. And he says, Lord, take it from me three times. And the Lord never said yes or no. He said, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I'll be made strong. So it is suggested that this demonic attack is actually maybe afflicting his eyes that he can't see, he can't read. And that's actually how he got saved. On the road to Damascus, he was blinded for three days. So maybe Jesus already knew that this is the only way I'm going to humble this guy. So I'm going to allow this to happen in his life so he stays humble and he continues to follow me. That's one thought. Seems very valid. Second thought, Galatians 4, Galatians 14 through 15. It says that it appears that he may have had some type of eye trouble. Maybe he was older in age by the time he's writing this or just his eyesight was going bad. Because he, he says there, to the people, as he's writing the Galatians, he's saying how much they loved him. He says, even you guys would be willing to pluck out your eyes and give them to me. Tell me that's not love. And he says, but no, don't worry about that. So the idea is that it's possible he was writing with big letters because he couldn't see. Possible. I'm not saying which one I agree with. I just, I just know he wrote with big letters um, for a reason. So whether or not either one of those truths, it's irrelevant. What is relevant is this. It's the emphasis of that I, Paul, am writing this. Don't miss this, Galatia. Don't miss this. So verse 12 through 13, right? He goes on to say, as many desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. I'm just going to kind of move on for time. Basically, he's basically saying that these legalists, they don't care about you guys. All they care about is numbers of their church or their synagogue. At the end of the day, they're going to count how many people they circumcise, and they're going to go back to their Jewish friends, and they're going to be like, hey, check out how many guys we brought to our faith. Paul says, I never care. I don't count how many people. Not about that. He talks about them being compromisers here because they were fearful of persecution from the Jews because they were still holding the law and a little bit of grace. And if they went full grace and said, forget the law, their Jewish friends are now going to persecute them. So they were like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose. No, I'm good. Right? I know a lot of half-hearted believers, too, that do the same thing with Jesus. But this is what Paul's saying to us. Don't be half-hearted. Be all in. Jesus was all in for you and I. And then he also calls them persuaders. Why? Because he says that they compelled or they were pushy about this circumcision, the law. Harsh. And he says that they're hypocrites. They, they want you to submit to the law, but they themselves do not obey the law. Man. Nothing worse than a believer who even comes with your Bible and says, you know, you should be kind and gentle, but they say it in a rude and mean manner because it's contradictory to what you're saying to me. That is a hypocrite. 
Don't be like these guys. Verse 14 through 15. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. What he's basically saying here is that Jesus Christ, he knew who Jesus was. He knew who the person of Jesus was on that cross. He knew the power of the cross, of what it meant. And he knew the purpose of the cross through this statement. How many of you have a cross hanging in your house, in your car, on a chain? I do. How many? Hands up. Hands up. How many have a cross hanging somewhere? All right. Let me, let me give you this little idea. What if I told you to replace that cross with an electric chair? You laugh. Did you know in the Roman times, anyone who saw the cross, it was a shameful thing. It was exactly what the electric chair is to us today. Sick, torturous tool. Jesus said, here go I. Send me to the electric chair. For you, for me. It's powerful. Seems kind of sick, but yet we have this emblem hanging all over the place. A tool of torture. But it was because of that torture that we've been set free so we can live free. Verse 16 through 18. I'm landing the plane, guys. Here we go. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So here's what he's saying. I'll just highlight verse 17. From now on, let let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What he's saying is, he's sort of smacking these Judaizers in the mouth. He's like, oh yeah, you guys, stop trying to probe me. Because you don't bear the marks that I bear on my body for what I did for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look in scripture, it actually talks, Paul actually gives his testimony of how he was shipwrecked a couple times. I've never been shipwrecked. He was beaten three times. He was, he was whipped three times like Jesus was. 39 lashes times three. He had marks. He was a scarred man. And he says, I do this for you guys. But you're going to allow these these foolish ones to come here and go against what I say? No. I'm writing this letter to you because I want you guys to know the love that Christ has for you. You do not have to hurt your body and inflict it for the purposes of coming to faith through circumcision or any other thing. So he was marked and he knew very well what an idea of what Jesus went through. And so because Paul writes this final thing about the marks, to me I would say that's, Paul's way of saying, here is the stamp on my letter. Send. Amen? All right. Let's pray. We'll break up into our groups. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this amazing season that we've had this summer to just ponder and consider what legalism wants to do to us. He wants to make us feel like we have to work. We have to rub beads. We have to go to a man and ask for them to forgive us. Lord, there is no man but you. There is no works that we have to do. There is... If I was a quadriplegic, I had no arms and no legs. How could I kneel and go and light a candle and do all these things? I can't. That's works. I can't attain to that. No man or woman can. It's just by the condition of our heart that we surrender and submit to you that you save us. Lord, we believe and we receive. And if there's anybody here who doesn't believe or receive that, God, I just ask that you would just minister to the depths of the heart of who they are and that you would just reach down and just show them you are real and that you are a relationship and not a religion. 
And if there's anyone in here, Lord, that is being affected or afflicted by any demonic possessions, I just ask God that you would just place your hand upon them and that you would deliver and cast any of those things out and far from them, that you would set them free as you did in the Gospels. God, we know you can and you are willing. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, you guys. God bless you.